Hello, and welcome to the Planetary Regeneration Podcast. I'm your host, Gregory Landway. We have a new mini-series called Community Voices. And in this mini-series, I'm going to be interviewing some of the amazing community members who are actively building new classes of eco-credits, doing scientific research, doing engineering efforts throughout the region network community. So I hope you enjoy. These are going to tend to be a little bit shorter, more on the order of about an hour long. I'm going to be continuing to do the long-form podcasts and have several of those coming up. And I think generally... You can look forward to a spring and summer full of more Planetary Regeneration podcast episodes. One other change that's going to be coming up is I'm going to start inviting co-hosts to be joining me and hopefully building out a larger community of interviewers to really create an opportunity for deeper and more rich conversations among multiple people at this intersection of ecological regeneration, climate finance, Earth observation, science, and all of the multiple dimensions that we're working with at Region Network to realign short-term economic incentives with long-term ecological health. One way I've been uh, exploring, describing the bigger mission that we're on here at Region Network is really reconnecting the social construction of value with ecological health. And in our cultural context, of course, that means the scientific process of sense-making as a foundation for community coming to consensus about what ecological health is, how do you measure it, how do you quantify it, and how do you create new units of account that represent that value. So this Community Voices series is really highlighting some of the most amazing people on planet Earth who are actively working at this intersection. I hope everybody enjoys these sort of shorter interviews with community members. And with that, we'll dive in. Hello, Regenerates, and welcome to episode 46 of the Planetary Regeneration Podcast. This is another one of our Community Voices series, this time with Howard Sharfstein from the Coulson Carbon Trust. Howard is doing some amazing work with his partner, Stephen, out in Bellingham, building a new approach to creating carbon easements and land trusts focused on stewarding living carbon. And they're developing a biochar-based methodology for eco-credits, for generating carbon credits from the forests out there in the Northwest and hopefully beyond. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Howard. I'm just so excited to chat with you, Howard. Tell everybody where you're calling in from. Uh, from Bellingham, Washington, on the Salish Sea, we are on the lands of the Coast Salish people who have tended it since time immemorial, and our Lumi neighbors and the Nooksack tribe are resident in, in where, where we live. We're very proud that the Lumi were able to stop that coal port up at Cherry Point by their activism and asserting their their treaty rights, we're able to stop something that would have been immensely harmful. And um, so that's a, a big and important part of our, our culture here is those those deep roots and the actually the absolute lovely setting between the North Cascades and what's generally called Puget Sound. We prefer the Sailor Sea, which uh, we are are very pleased to be part of. We have the San Juan Islands to the west 
and the Kolshan Konaf, the original name of, of Mount Baker, to our east, one of the, the largest volcanoes in the chain. And it's, it's a very special area. We're pleased to, to reside here. Yeah, it's a beautiful, beautiful spot, beautiful bioregion, and lots of really exciting things going on there. Do you want to share a little bit about uh, what the Kulshan Carbon Trust is is doing and maybe weave that a little bit into the story of place that you've started inviting us? I'd be delighted to. It wasn't my observation, but I heard someone say that Bellingham, because of its location between Vancouver, British Columbia, and Seattle, Washington, uh, along the coast here, has the opportunity to be the Silicon Valley uh, for sustainability. And we have here some really strong infrastructure with some nonprofits, some environmental NGOs, resources is one, sustainable connections is another. And of course, we have Western Washington University as a real keystone for the area. And with that, there is the uh, Environmental College uh, that was formerly known as the Huxley College, that is the longest continuously operating environmental science program with its Energy Institute, as well as business and sustainability program. And so there is a real emphasis and expertise on those things sustainable. What the origins of the Coltion Carbon Trust were a paper that was a bit of a COVID project that I co-authored with the dean of, uh, now the former dean of the Huxley College. He and I had some conversations about land trusts and how that idea and the effectiveness they've shown in conserving landscapes and protecting ecosystems, how we could use that idea in a focused way to focus on carbon, which is really going to be the determination of whether we can draw down enough atmospheric carbon by mid-century to hit our budgets and, and enable a survivable future. So the idea was to meld a land trust with the focus on carbon with the outreach of cooperative extensions the mission of a university, which is to educate and train, educate in the nature of outreach to our communities and training as creating a talent pipeline of what uh, we like to call climate care workers or carbon protectors to create, if we can, a new profession built on the mindset of looking at carbon as the uh, common denominator of how effective a project is as a climate solution to really follow the carbon, to be rigorous about life cycle assessment, to be diligent about measurement, but to try to get that mindset where people would be trained to walk across the landscape and see the opportunities and threats to its carbon reserves, where through protection, existing reserves can be sustained and where by activity and work, we can grow the carbon resources that's resident in a property. So that's really the origin of the Carbon Trust. It, um, if I can just do one more um, tangent, it actually started around the idea of trying to protect fossil fuel reserves 
the idea that we would acquire mineral rights and effectively convert them to carbon rights, that we would value the carbon rather than the combustion, the sequestration rather than the combustion. And we started down that road to try to compete with oil companies or natural gas producers to try to get there first and give the landowners an alternative to extraction. We thought that Uh, Wouldn't it be great to preserve it, provide revenue from the carbon credits and perhaps tax tax, uh, deductions for the um, uh, for for the land on the land trust side? But um, that ended up pretty much a dead end as we started looking at oil and gas law and realized that was not going to be friendly territory to exercise our ideas. So we quickly shifted to natural climate solutions. And that's where our focus is going forward to see whether we can have a menu of natural climate solutions that will support and help enable. So that's the the thought process. And it starts a thought experiment. We then entered, created our nonprofit uh, going on a year ago. And thanks to the help and generosity of the Regen Network, foundation, we now have the opportunity to launch our first pilot project. So that's our year in a nutshell. Yeah, well, we're so excited, super excited about the work that you guys are doing or going to be doing. I think there's a couple of places. I mean, part of this sort of series of the podcast that you're gracing us with your presence during is really starting to pull out some of the intersecting threads between different groups who've received grants. And so in that narrative, there are a couple things that I sort of want to just like pull those threads out and make them more visible. We may or may not get to do a deep enough dive into each of them, but just to sort of like note, hey, these are part of the tapestry that we're all weaving together. And so the things that I'm really excited to get a deeper take on, one is actually the story of how you what you learned in thinking about sort of the keep it in the ground uh, business model and what, why you came to the conclusion that that wouldn't work. I know there are other people in the region network community that have been thinking about this and my sense is maybe they're not as far down the road. And so this could save them some significant time. So that's one piece. Another piece, I really, one of the things I loved about your approach and that I'm really excited to see happen is this emphasis on land trusts and sort of using the existing tools of kind of conservation easements to build carbon easements. And I really want to have a deeper conversation about that and learn more about what you're thinking and what you've learned along the way. I tend to think that it's such a common once people start getting regen pilled or whatever, once people start seeing like, oh, humans could be a keystone species and we could shift practices to have a healthy carbon cycle and that could lead to carbon drawdown and healthier food, they start people start seeing this sort of cascading potential. Oftentimes, if they haven't also gone through a process to have sort of a deeper inquiry into colonial mercantile capitalist sort of superstructure that we're all operating in. The next thought is, oh, I'll just buy a bunch of land and I'll sort of like own the means of production for this public good that may have some private commodified value, right? And I think one of the 
antidotes to that, one of the ways of is actually having a land trust based approach where we can sort of hybridize these market mechanisms with something that's more like commoning or more respectful of land, uh, not simply as a commodity to just sort of be bought and sold and flipped. I want to double click there and go deeper into that side of things. I also really want to go in as deep as we can into sort of the biochar side of things, specifically the methodology and the approach that I think you're going to be leading in the larger region network community with the science the other members of the open science community around how do we quantify the carbon drawdown of a bio, an integrated biochar system in a landscape. And those are the three topics that I'm really amped to get your thinking about. My sense is the one that I'm is maybe the richest from my perspective is actually sort of the, and seems very foundational to what you all are doing is just talking more about the role of land trusts and why land trusts and why they're sort of central to what you're hoping to build and sort of like build a multi-stakeholder approach to. So maybe we could start there. Well, and, and again, we took a bit of a departure in focusing ourselves as carbon trusts. We consider land trusts to be the model. And the you pointed to one of our keys is we do intend to operate within the existing framework. For better and worse, our project doesn't depend on change of law or standing up a new economy. We hope to be part of working with co-ops and, and establishing, as you suggest, community forests and land held in trust. But we're not so much looking to get the development rights, except to the extent it affects the carbon resources. So that is one of the distinctions at Conservation Land Trust. We have some terrific ones in our region. We have the, the Whatcom Land Trust and Skagit Land Trust are the two counties where we're based and they're, they're remarkably effective. And, and we're trying to find a niche that in some respects distinguishes ourselves, but uses their tools of conservation easements, of getting covenants, both affirmative covenants where people agree to, to take certain actions if it's needed to support the growth of, of agroforestry or the maintenance of regenerative agriculture. We see these affirmative covenants as part and parcel of what we want to do, and as well as the negative covenants, which are more typical of the land trust to keep folks from uh, being exploitive or, or degenerative of the land holdings. And, and that'll that might be in a like just a, a concrete example of that might be uh, to not be able to sell timber off of a property or something like that. Well, I mean, that is what we're going towards is uh, supporting pro forest pro forestry mm -hmm. and the idea of extending the life of stands when they do their their best work for carbon sequestration of the mature trees that in this region tend to get harvested uh, less than halfway through their, their use to their life. And we lose both their growth as well as all of the, the carbon that they, they stockpile and, and sequester for us. So it's very much around optimizing the carbon and more broadly, and, and we can and we're very much about doing this in stages where our first stage 
is, as you mentioned, a biochar uh, pilot project that we're embarking upon. We then intend to do more complex and interactive type of work in the nature of supporting agroforestry and silvopasture, and then moving into regenerative agriculture and blue carbon once we've identified proof of concept. And I think we have to be humble about that we don't have carbon easements that one can rip and read and say that these are ready to go. So it's something that we're fortunate to have on our team, the um, someone regarded as one of, if not the best, uh, conservation land trust lawyers in the state is going to work with us in connection with these projects to make sure that we've documented the easements and developed the covenants so that they really are sound and can be the basis for uh, taking these credits to market. And that's very important to our model is that we use these tools and we use them in a rigorous way so that there's confidence built that the carbon that we're bringing forward can be um, can be relied upon uh, subject to some force majeure event is going to be there for the long run. And that's, of course, the big proposition that that the Regen Network is behind is to structure that and organize it and provide the tools to enable it. And I would say where we find ourselves is a little bit of a cell within your Regen Network uh, in looking and learning more about your a big vision. We see ourselves as a, a a local force that can realize it and bring to bear those that are most appropriate for our bioregion and for our projects. And uh, at the heart of it, at the, at the inception rather, was the idea that these are established tools, these legal real property instruments that go way back to, to English common law and are well established. Our step, I don't think it's a leap, is to recast them for carbon as opposed to broad conservation. Well, I'm really excited about that. And that's one of being able to parse these sort of multiple forms of rights and responsibilities related to land stewardship and be very specific and targeted is really, really exciting. And I think that's right on. And I look forward to the moment, hopefully in the not too distant future, where we do have the sort of rip and wrap, just cut and paste Um, carbon easement and maybe biodiversity easement or these other sort of concepts in place. So it's, it's quite exciting. That is our vision and our determination is to standardize this both because our role as a carbon trust, and this is really central, is that we convene the stakeholders and we facilitate the engagement both on the supply chain, value chain side, where we want to get all of the players around the table to plan something out uh, in advance and to bring clarity and hopefully enough simplicity that we then can reach out to landowners who host the projects with a project where it's very clear and hopefully non-threatening what the expectations of them will be. And on the other end, we want to be an intermediary to the, the buyers of the carbon credits, the communities, the businesses that have committed to net zero to give them really a high quality instrument through these certified 
carbon conservation credits or, or perhaps tokens that will be available. And our role is to convene, facilitate, and enable. We're a nonprofit, which is at the core of our identity. And we think that helps us build trust uh, with landowners. There's a bit of misgiving about markets and whether local folks might get exploited by speculative markets. That's something I think we have to overcome in the the line of work we've chosen. Mm -hmm. And at the other end, there are businesses that are used to making investments around return on equity. And while these are sustainability investments to meet net zero goals, we want to make sure that we bring the validity and the uh, security that what they their buying will be delivered. So that's our, our role between the host landowner and the sponsoring credit acquirer on the one hand, and in the middle of it is to convene in work groups, the supply chain, the local folks who are going to go out in the field and help the landowners with the tree planting, with the transition to regenerative agriculture, or to do as needed the monitoring and the uh, reporting and the validation. So we are see ourselves as kind of, if not the boots on the ground, training the folks who are going to be walking the fields and, and walking the walk. Yeah, fantastic. So you mentioned the term pro-forestry earlier. Do you want to unpack that a little bit? I, I, I've never heard that term. I'm familiar sort of with the concept of ecoforestry and some really significant and interesting work that's happened around sort of a low grading focus in forestry management in order to extend the life of a woodlot essentially well you know so essentially you're creating an old growth forest that is managed and in which some amount of timber is extracted and turned into lumber every year is that similar to the sort of pro forestry concept and do you want to explain a little bit more about that in in detail well, I, I think you you got it. I think it is uh, those other names would would fall within the rubric of pro forestry. We are looking for ways to add value to the landscape and to the landowners. And the obvious ones are tree planting, and those are in the medium term immensely valuable for the carbon budget. But the real opportunity in our bioregion is we have such rich, uh, storehouses of carbon in the fir and the spruce and some of the older stands. And what we're looking to do is we have communities that really would like to preserve their forests if they're, they're typically second growth, but to get them to ripe old age. But the market pressures are to sell for, for timber, the stands. And what we're looking to develop, and we're not there yet, is a model that where we can help with the afforestation or reforestation, because we, we want to do labor-intensive stuff that puts people to work. But the, the heart of it is to look at the resource and where there are existing stands, if we can extend their life from 40 to 60 to 120 or 150 years, the amount of carbon in the bank is so much greater than we'll, we'll necessarily get with the new trees that we're looking to plant. So the proforestation is really a holistic ecosystem view of how do we protect the resource 
so that the trees can stay in place. And for our purposes, we see that the carbon that we're going to be uh, acquiring, the rights to the carbon, will extend even after the tree might be logged and converted to timber, that there would then be a sequestration in building materials. And that's something that's happening, as you probably know, in Scandinavia in some significant ways and then spreading elsewhere in Europe, but hopefully here, where purposely built uh, wood buildings where the dimensional lumber is is going to be sequestered for, for a century. And we don't tell landowners they can never cut. We tell them they can cut when the carbon value has been maximized or optimized. Then when it is cut, let's make sure that we convert the trimmings, the, the slash into biochar, and we take the dimensional lumber and use all the material in a way that the carbon remains protected. It'll have to be written down. If there was a hundred units of carbon, it will be reduced by 30, 40, maybe even 50% by virtue of the logging. But we do want to keep the eye on the carbon and do all we can that in the future it will remain sequestered. Yeah, fantastic. So you mentioned some work in Scandinavia that's maybe prior art that's inspiring some of the thinking here. Do you want to just share a little bit of the approach to carbon accounting, kind of the lineage that you're coming from? What, Where are there places that, that the glimmers of what you're trying to piece together already exist that you might point at and say like, yeah, here are some places that this is working pretty well that we're going to work to bring into place with the Kulshin Carbon Trust program? Well, that, that's a, a great question. And I'd raise Scandinavia as the example around where there's demonstration of sequestering carbon in, in building materials and using buildings uh, inherently as net zero so that they start off with a carbon budget in the way that life cycle analysis looks at energy consumption. They've introduced the carbon sequestration to the equation. To answer your question, we don't see ourselves as being the experts on measurement and calculation. That's not the background that our founders bring to the conversation. We have legal. We have one of our co-founders is a graduate of the Stanford uh, Sustainability School, who's very much system-oriented. Our other co-founder is the former dean of the uh, Environmental College with strong background in land trusts. He's founded a, a good number of them. So it's from those roots that we want to bring the education, the engagement, and the systems approach to, to the process. And we we're going to see it as a process. We're looking to build alliances with the folks who are at the cutting edge for measurement for this carbon life cycle assessment tools. And we expect really to find them through the Regen Network in part, through the networking we've done and doing with some of the folks who are bringing carbon credits to market. And what we're going to do is select as an ally or as a number of allies on a project-by-project project basis, depending on whether it's biochar or tree planting or, or forest protection or regenerative agriculture 
or some of the more frontier things uh, like blue carbon to take advantage of our location on the Salish Sea. We're going to look for the best available player who's demonstrated the expertise and bring them to the table, to these work groups. And that's really the heart of our process is to bring together the whole value chain, the folks who know who are the experts on measurement, be it remote sensing or field testing or the AI applications that may be advancing this to find the real experts, because I don't pretend that we are at this stage and get them working with the field crews so that the project is designed in a way to take into account what measurement's going to look like and how do we design the project to make that as efficient as we can? And how do we set it up so that the data gathering and reporting is done with as little transaction cost as possible to think all that through at the front end and design with the end in mind that we'll have a project that will have low transaction costs, little friction in the way that it's done by having the best people with each discipline working on what we call best practices. And that is how we're going to start each project within a planning effort, which is starting up in the uh, for biochar and for carbon accounting, we have two work groups that we're forming. One, and we'll talk about that in a few minutes, around how we operationalize biochar in our community. And the second one, uh, to answer your question, well, how do we account for the carbon and how do we intelligently design our efforts to track it and maximize its long-term value. I, I wish I was the one that could tell you how, but uh, what we can do is have a process that brings together those disciplines and the leading, the thought leaders in each of the these key areas and get them working together and focus in a geography, in a focused way. Well, here's what you got to do to do it right. And that's our role is to facilitate those discussions, to document them, and to train people to implement on a ongoing basis those findings. So we start each project with a roadmap, and that roadmap is going to answer the question in a way I regret to say I'm not well-equipped to do sitting here. Great. No worries. Yeah. And, and it's so valuable to have the awareness of that. So maybe it'd be actually be interesting to circle back around and um, have you talk a little bit about, uh, you're a professor at Western Washington State, right? At the College of Environmental Science, correct? And the Institute of Energy Policy and Management. And you've also mentioned that several of your other co-founders of Coolshen are also focused on the sort of legal side, which it sounds like you are as well in what you're teaching and what you're practicing, kind of contract law. Is that accurate? That's right. I'm I'm what's called a recovering lawyer. <laughs> I've been an environmental lawyer for about three decades, in part in private practice, and larger part in house for a company that worked uh, worked very hard on sustainability. It's 
turning 150 years old this year. So that qualifies as sustainable. And it was part of the culture to be focused on sustainability as that term came into common use. So I was a a bit of a corporate sustainability expert and an environmental practitioner in the legal side. So that's my background. I had the good fortune to retire to this part of Western Washington and Western Washington University is, as I had mentioned in the beginning, really a a wellspring of engaged students with interest in this area. And that is what we see as, as our future. We, in the way I talked about our process being interdisciplinary, it's also by design intergenerational. And these work groups are going to be staffed by student interns from our environmental college, from business and sustainability program, from the Energy Institute. We've had some great interns to date, and we're looking to build a pipeline where we can have fellowships and internships to get young people working with the kind of experts I was referring to to answer your question, the folks who really walk the walk, know the technology, that the students will work for them to help research and write the reports that will inform the best practices for these these work groups so that as we begin a project, the owner's manual will be prepared by experts and beginners working together. And the product, our role is to translate these ideas so they become user-friendly and non-threatening in a way that if we talk too much about climate, some of our rural neighbors they may see that as polarizing. And we want to have a an approach that sidesteps that by being very matter of fact to say, here's our goal is to value carbon so that you can be carbon farmers and have another cash crop besides timber or conventional agricultural products. And it's that message we want to be the translator for. And that's really our process is to use all the enthusiasm and the capability of research and the pride in in writing and the ability to use modern media, social media, and other outreach tools is to get the young people to be able to work uh, with the ideas and apply them. Uh, so that this trust has the energy and the animation of our student body and our youthful community. Yeah, that's so exciting. Is part of the aim of Coolshen also to be creating kind of an open source set of legal templates for scaling this? You've sort of mentioned that you're wanting to focus specifically with a set of stakeholders and in a bioregion and in a context to sort of really enable this at a local level is one of the outputs that you all are aiming for is as is toolkits that could then be replicated similarly in other places by other people. Exactly right. That's really the heart of our mission is to demonstrate proof of concept to get these standard documents and these standard processes or practices that other people can replicate. What we're trying to do is found a network of carbon Uh, conservation trusts that by design need to be local. Yeah. And we want to do it in in a cellular manner to grow organically, where our model hopefully will yield results, will put points on the board, keep carbon in the ground or in the in the plants, and have other people elsewhere take our documentation, the legal agreements, the outreach materials, 
the internal supply chain agreements. We want to use compacts, packs that are more checklists and handshakes than pages of legal boilerplate. We're really looking to make it easy for folks to work together in this area, uh, both companies that might be large and and more typically small, to uh, mediate the terms and conditions so that a lot of time isn't spent with the uh, home office going through lots of documentation. And that's one of the roles we see ourselves as playing is to, as we refine our, our efforts, as we get better at executing projects, to be able to get these templates and standard documents that we'll share with other people elsewhere to use as a model with the ultimate goal, having a network with something we, we call the Carbon Conservancy which would be at the next level up. That's uh, the accrediting, kind of akin to the Regen Network in a sense. And whether we ultimately need that or just these organic carbon um, conservation trusts at the local level are enough as a network remains to be seen. But we have the bottom up, which is what we're doing through proof of concept and demonstrating the different techniques and technologies for regenerative natural climate solutions is our role. We want to network it in all the ways your great question suggested is that's our role is to leave a trail of breadcrumbs so others can copy our work and apply it to their local law, their local economy, their local conditions. And then once we get to some scale, we see a conservancy, a carbon conservancy that would be accrediting and enabling each of the local folks to have better tools at their disposal. But that's a top-down that's some time off. We're several steps away from achieving that that vision. But that's how we started, is with this idea of an association as the fruit of our networking efforts. Yeah, fantastic. So I think there's some really cool convergent evolution with the way that you're thinking about this and the way that we've conceptualized things need to work in region network, you know, and obviously region network is sort of building kind of a digital infrastructure for communities to govern and track and bootstrap these value flows and systems of accounting and accountability. And nonetheless, it's very convergent with this idea that you're talking about of sort of bottom up and then also thinking about what are the structures that need to sort of unify or unite those. And I'm just curious if you want to share a little bit of just the you know, origin story of how you designed and created this initial paper with your colleague and also, yeah, what's inspired this to be what you're dedicating your time to? Well, that that's a, a really good question. And it's interesting because he came to this from a background in land trusts and educating on ecosystems and being the, the dean of, of a environmental college to, to see the interdisciplinary and the scientific pieces fit together. And what we brought to it was to try to find the tools that are already demonstrated. And in our first paper, we have a footnote uh, about Regen Network. We had access to your white paper and took a great deal of inspiration from the way that you're thinking about this, this convergence and the idea that if you bring tools to bear 
And if you put people into network and let them exchange about ideas and activities, it's a, a very powerful force multiplier. And we kept coming back to, well, how do we protect the most carbon for the longest time? And we look at natural climate solutions and regeneration as the organizing principles that others are advancing and demonstrating in in so many ways. And what is exciting about Regen Network is the collaboration tools that you have on your platforms and the power that that registry brings as as a marketplace. And we're looking forward, actually, I think tomorrow to some training your team is going to be providing us and others within your new cohort as to how to understand tokens and how to use some of these powerful tools that I don't yet quite grasp to use the the DAOs as a governance tool, as a mechanism for aligning economic interests and taking governance to a new level. And that will be a growth opportunity for us is to understand and embrace that. We have started for more conventional premises about using law and markets to do this work for us. They don't have to be invented, they exist. And to kind of sidestep the political debate, to take as a given that everyone wants their land to be better for their children. And if there's more carbon, it's more fertile, it's more verdant, and it, it's an easy sell to leave it better for your kids than you found it if um, that, that crosses political lines. So it was that conversation we're wanting to have and what's exciting. And and while we've read your white paper and, and starting to absorb all the tools that you make available to folks with um, within the, the Regen network, it's a, a learning curve that we're not on the technological end, which is why I earlier spoke to building alliances with the many folks out there where that's their calling. And we want to, as a nonprofit, stick to those tasks that are suitable for that that status. So we want to add value in ways that relate to convening and facilitating and, and educating. And that's where we see the Regen Network as a tremendous force multiplier. And our role will be to translate, I think, how these tools can be relevant to landowners who are really quite far removed from the digital world who are living on the land and how or living with the land and how we can be an intermediary to bring that, that those powerful tools uh, into common use. And I don't know what that looks like, but I'm excited to find out. Yeah. Well, it's very exciting. And it's very exciting also to have your experience and, and your co-founders experience in thinking through the contract, sort of the common law contracts and and property rights that ultimately, you know, need to underpin this. Because I think we can get very sort of excited and hand wavy about the role of technology, and it certainly can be an enabler. But at the end of the day, this is really all comes down to agreements between people about what they think is best. You know, there's this concept in the, in the blockchain world of a Ricardian contract, which is simply put the representation of a, you know, real world old school legal contract into a, you know, into a digital form that allows people to, for instance, 
be linking like satellite monitoring to cheaply check to make sure that that forest is still there or something like that, that there's an agreement and that some element of that agreement is is visible to a couple of parties to simply facilitate the sort of the analog and real world contract. And I foresee that there's going to be lots of interesting co-creative opportunities for Coalition Trust and the larger region network community to learn together about what it means to sort of enact and enable these real world relationships and agreements and contracts with also the technology that, that allows us to replicate that better. Well, that's a great description of where we want to get. I'd say we want to make smart contracts friendly and we want to create them in a form where while blockchain will be the underlying uh, mechanism, we won't have to explain the world of crypto and the technology of blockchain that these smart contracts can be friendly in a, in a way that they get where most people want to be is in the nature of a handshake to have these relationships build up in trust. And that is, if I'd have to say, what the real purpose of our nonprofit is to build trust in, in, in various different ways, both as the legal entity, which is a venerable form of as, as a trust, but also as a verb and as, as a meeting place so that if we progress in our capability as facilitators, that will arise in the way we bring people together. And that this kind of face-to-face -face at the local level with the backdrop of this vast network that's perfecting the technology and the tools to enable these things to occur efficiently and smartly. It, it's that part that we want to bring in is the kind of the human face and the neighborly aspect to these conversations with all the power that blockchain portends to these ecosystem service markets. And that's what's really exciting is to get with others who are thought leaders in this space and to do in our area what speaks in the cultural voice locally and have it set up in a way that others can tease out and adapt from our experience what forms will work in, in, their, in their location. And we, in turn, will learn as they develop and evolve their, their practice. So we want to be um, practitioners and try to be at that intersection. And that's why intergenerational is so important. On our board, we have digital natives and we have um, folks of my generation to whom it's at best a second language. And it's that combination we want to bring into the conversations to uh, be interdisciplinary, intergenerational, intercommunity, and have these uh, communities of interest feel comfortable that the Carbon Trust is a place they can go and find solutions to enable them to have financial return on their land without degrading it. Yeah, beautiful. Well, it's very exciting. I'm, I'm excited to see the work and to collaborate with you, Howard. And um, yeah, thanks so much for taking the time to hop on and, and share a little bit about the Coolshin Carbon Trust and the work that, that you all are going to be doing with the larger region network community. Very grateful. Well, thank you. We're, we're really honored. We're really pleased that we have this opportunity. And it's uh, 
powerful serendipity that that footnote in our white paper to your white paper turned into through a a chance meeting with one of your team members who lives in Bellingham with us, Sam Bennett, that we had met on one of your outreach programs and we got together over over coffee and boy, the uh, the power of how your project can amplify ours just um, was really energizing to realize what what the reach is through your network and how if we can stay true to our purpose, which is to remain grassroots and community based and focused on that intermediary role, not trying to boil the ocean, then I think we can um, can have such a, a powerful partnership. And I, I just can't wait to live and learn with the other folks within within your network. Likewise, it's going to be fun. Well, thank you. Have a beautiful day. Have a beautiful morning out there in uh, Bellingham. And I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Okay. Well, thanks so much for taking the time for the conversation. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, me too. Bye now. Ciao, Howard.